Hi everyone, welcome to episode 5. We've got an interview with Peter Hay from the organization ProArtes Mexico. If you haven't heard of ProArtes Mexico, it's a team consisting of visual artist Peter Hay and his wife Stephanie Garcia, an experienced dancer and performing artist with the mission to support the creation and promotion of contemporary Mexican art and foster the exchange of art and artists between the United States and Mexico. When thinking of the exchange of art and culture between countries, it could seem like the transaction is rather simple. However, because of cultural and socioeconomic inequities, the opportunity for a Mexican artist to share their work in the U.S. is not as easy as having an artist from the United States share their work in Mexico. Proartes aims to facilitate the cultural exchange between the U.S. and Mexico in hopes to essentially build a better and more informed society. Let's jump into our conversation with Peter Hay. Let's do it! Hi, I'm Peter Hay. I identify as he, him. I'm co-director and co-founder of ProArtes Mexico. ProArtes is a company started in late 2018 to foster the exchange of arts and culture and artists between the United States and Mexico. Hi, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I want to start off by asking you, why do you feel so passionate about facilitating a cultural exchange between Mexico and the United States. What about that exchange do you feel is going to create change within our society? That's a that's a tough question. I mean, I think for me as an individual, the first time that I went to Mexico, I was I mean, I think many people are totally overwhelmed with their lack of knowledge of the history of this continent and of quote unquote civilization. I think that if we as a people understood a little bit more the profundity of the cultures that exist here continuously and how you know indigenous people be they mexican from the united states or from latin america exist as contemporary people making contemporary work and the way that that has influenced everything that we know as people that grew up in patriarchal white centric United States, and then also how much erasure has existed through all of that. I mean, these are all things that I think can be heavily illuminated just through cultural exchange between the United States and Mexico. I mean, that's just like scratching the surface, like the food history, like we could talk about corn, we could talk about the exchange that has been happening and has been cut off when I first went to Mexico, that was November of 2016. So that was, a, you know, we had a person get elected on like the rhetoric of build the wall. When at the same time I was living in Durango, Colorado, I could drive south for a few hours and be at Chaco Canyon. And there were trade routes that were still visible that went straight down to Mexico. And there were goods in Chaco Canyon from Mexico talking like, parrot feathers. We're talking obsidian that came from central Mexico. That's there in Chaco Canyon from 12, 1500 years ago. There's just a tremendous amount that exists here. And I think that anything I can do to support that and that knowledge base expansion, I'm all for. Also, I mean, there's like, I, there's so many layers to this. I could go on for a long time, but I, I also believe that there's a lot of folks that live in the United States in a separate context from the mass white patriarchal culture, right? That have their own communities and maybe don't have all the arts and culture possibilities 
And I've seen through arts and culture, the way that you can engage those communities, hopefully create a greater sense of welcome and value. And I've seen that firsthand a lot of times, and I want to continue to see that happen. I just think empathy and understanding are really powerful when it comes to making tomorrow a little better than today. That's one of the biggest roles of contemporary art is to articulate and correct the erasure that has happened, not just in the U.S., but all over the world. There's a lot to be said for like educational offerings that explore cultural ideas. But I think it's also very important to understand that anytime that you have a cultural offering that's not authentically presented, you're also participating in erasure. Hmm. By, by creating the direct connection, you're creating real information exchange and real education as opposed to something that has been diluted and will be continued to be diluted as it's retaught. I think that like the potency of cultural exchange preserves ideas, preserves cultures, preserves humanity and the diversity of it. The history, like history at large, right, has been told from one perspective overwhelmingly. Um, it's been a stolen colonized narrative. So um, anytime you have somebody that's in power and creates the books, writes the books, writes the culture, they can take that and twist it and turn it any way they wish to and profit from it and use it to their own ends, their own means. So I really think that the authentic presentation, the authentic perspective, the authentic credit due for the work being done, it needs to be directly associated with the right people, with the people that are doing, that have the culture, that have the connection, that have the perspective to be able to make the jokes or to create the fictions because those fictions are about themselves, right? So like there's there's a very different, um, I don't know, there's like a like potency, I guess, or uh, authenticity is like a very overused word, right? But I think that like through all of cultural history, like you can look and you can see how the people have the stories of the majority of the population of this world, which are people of color, has been told by a very few people, which are the white patriarchy. Anything I can do as like myself being a white guy, you know, because I try to be very careful with this as well. You know, I, I'm really interested in supporting other projects. I'm really interested in curating diverse things because I'm I want to use the skill set that I have and have developed that could be argued through my own sense, like my own privilege, you know, that I've been able to develop these skills. Like, I think yeah. it's really important to to acknowledge that and to use that as a, I would say like a, as, as somebody to uplift, I'm trying to think, but there's a really great word we used in a, a recently a servant, more like a servant leader, you know, mm -hmm. like where, you know, you're, I'm not interested in, and taking the credit for a whole lot, you know, like I'm, I'm much more interested in like, <laughs> I get, I get a tremendous amount of joy out of like being in Mexico city with all those people. Like for me, that's the reward or, you know, getting to be present when you can actually see people making meaningful connections. Like that's so great. I think that that's where the, the reward for me is, is in it all. Yeah. I just, I think that we're in, a, we're in a really important spot of cultural, of fostering kind of a, a cultural leveling. And as a visual artist yourself, you are participating in that grander conversation through contemporary art. Tell us a little bit more about your background as a visual artist. I have a pretty diverse background in the art. So I got my master's degree some years ago in kind of focused in painting and printmaking. From there, as lots of people do, they, they leave with their MFA and their 
kind of figuring out what they're going to do. And I ended up being a development director and PR director for an art center in Tulsa. And I got my feet wet in arts administration that way. And actually, that's how I met Stephanie, who's the, the co-founder and co-director of Fuertes Mexico. So yeah, I, I still paint and draw as much as I can. A lot of my creative endeavors actually recently have been more closely tied to performance art, performance installation that Stephanie and I have been working on together. She's a dancer choreographer. So we have a company that we kind of pulled together called Punto de Inflexion. And um, we have several shows coming up this summer. So that's been my biggest creative output as an artist, I would say, in the past few years. And in addition to your work with Punto de Inflexión and your visual art that you have produced, you also have a pretty robust background in arts administration. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so arts, arts administration, <laughs> I do have quite a bit of background in that. So after Tulsa, I was there for a few years as a PR and development director. And that was like graduate school 2.0. I mean, I just, I feel like I learned a tremendous amount. You learn a lot of nuts and bolts. You learn a lot about how to teach and talk about art in graduate school and write about art, which was all very good for being like a grant writer and a PR person. But while I was at Living Arts, I kind of wanted to work more directly with artists myself. So I left Living Arts and I took a job as curator and exhibits director at the Durango Arts Center in Durango, Colorado. And I did that for three years. That's also sort of when Stephanie and I got connected. I was actually invited to Enartes, Mexico, which is it's a showcase of Mexican performing arts that because we had taken Stephanie's group, brought her group to Tulsa several times to perform for our Dia de los Muertos Festival at Living Arts. Stephanie put us on a list, Steve Leggett, who was the executive director at the time, and myself, and I was invited down to Enartes. And at Nartes, we sort of connected over the exchange in, of arts and culture between the United States and Mexico and the inequities of it. Actually, from there is when we kind of, you know, fell in love as well. Like from that point on, we started dating and things. So I left Durango to start ProArtes and work with Stephanie in Mexico City and moved down there in 2019. Towards the end of 2019, a lot of things were changing in the Mexican kind of context of arts and culture. There was a new president who was changing the way funding was happening. A lot of things I think that are really good as far as kind of figuring out ways to work through corruption and things that were happening in the government and through, you know, as, as happens in all government, but specifically kind of cleaning out some of the programs that were taking up more than they should or decentralizing the funding as well. So there was so much funding in Mexico City, pushing that funding out through the rest of the country. Uh, kind of through that process, Stephanie was in her own kind of punto de inflexion or point of inflection to figure out what was next. And that's when the punto de inflexion company started. But also she was kind of figuring out what she wanted to do next. And she applied for some graduate schools and ended up getting into graduate school here at the University of Utah. That's what brought us to Utah. Since I've been here, we've kept Proarte's programming going as much as possible and worked in a variety of ways. One of those ways, I, I got on board at Modern West as gallery manager and was there for about 10 months until we just sort of had different ideas about how things should be and kind of went different directions. So, which has been interesting because since then I've been doing a number of things and it's opened up a lot more opportunities for for us in general with Proartes, it kind of was a good push to kind of recenter Proartes as a company and what we wanted to, to do. One of the things that I've noticed about the work that you and Stephanie do, it's very clear that you're trying to resolve these inequities for Mexican artists and trying to kind of bring to light the contrast between an artist in the United States bringing their art to Mexico and an artist in Mexico bringing their art to the United States. 
it's clear that there is a disconnect there and that there are problems to resolve. Can you highlight and break down the inequities that these artists are facing? Sure. I mean, that's uh, that's a can of worms for sure. But I so when I, I first went down in, well, I, I first went down for art purposes, arts administration purposes in 2000, I guess it was the end of 2016 for the Inartes. And one of the things that really stood out to me was as much as, you know, it was an arts market. So they had, the government had supported all of these groups to set up and present their work. And there was a big conference room where all the different groups had tables set up and you'd go around, you'd have 10 minutes to talk with them. They give you their business card and all of this stuff. And the Mexican government was paying for them to have all of these business cards or to create, you know, videos to be able to share with you. When we were talking with them, you know, everybody was saying, well, how much is your performance fee? And they were like a thousand dollars. And you're like, how do you bring 12 people from Mexico for a thousand dollars? Like, how do you pay them? So just the inequities of that alone, like what people were willing to do. And I know there's a lot of funding, all the art, most of the groups that were there get funding from the government. So there's a very different system of philanthropy here, probably like 90% of the funding that goes to the arts in the United States is philanthropic or private donations, individual donors, individual private foundations. In Mexico, it's the opposite. I mean, the vast majority of the funding for the arts comes from the government, and there's very little philanthropic private donation. So it's a very kind of inverted system in a lot of ways. But as far as like inequities are concerned, here we have the opportunity to go out and fundraise and try to figure out how to fund projects. In Mexico, it's a very have or have not system. I mean, if you don't have the grants, it's very difficult to find additional like other sources of funding. You really have to just know somebody who runs a company or owns a company and is willing to give money directly to you. It's it's a lot more challenging. So one of the things we were thinking about is, well, how do we impact that? But then from a very just geopolitical stance as a U.S. citizen, you have pretty much free range to travel to Mexico whenever you want and stay for six months or whatever and, and, and leave. And it's a very one-sided system, whereas Mexicans, when they want to come here to the United States to even for cultural exchange, it's a quite complicated process. Um, even getting a tourist visa, even if there's no intent to make profit or fees, if it's purely a cultural exchange, there's still quite a bit of a process involved in trying to get them here. And obviously the problem with that is that the individuals without the right resources, aka money, are blocked from being able to do their art. And it also gives the government way more control over who gets to do art and who doesn't, which is... Very scary, a very scary idea. Exactly. I mean, if you think about like, you know, we had the recent trip to Mexico City and one of the things that was just standing out to me the whole time was here I had this whole group of United States citizens that are traveled to Mexico City and a lot of the people that we're visiting with, they cannot simply come to the United States to do the opposite. They couldn't just like, if you think about the, the exchange, the peso to the dollar first off is a big barrier, um, but also just the actual having a tourist visa to be able to come or, you know, a performance visa or a work visa is a whole different ballgame and extremely time consuming and expensive. The barriers are very one sided, I would say. I don't know if you've seen, but there's a, a huge fee increase that's actually being proposed right now and being sort of fought over um, in the courts at the moment for performance fees or artistic fees for artistic visas. It's a constant barrier. And so that, that's one of the focuses for us is how do we how do we open that up? How do we kind of highlight that? But how do we support 
as much as we possibly can. And I think that we're still kind of figuring all of that out as well. Yeah, that leads me to my next question, which is how is Pro Artes actively helping these artists overcome the barriers that you just described? It was easy-ish during the pandemic because everything was virtual. So we did some curation and we were able to curate some projects with Living Arts of Tulsa. Actually, we put on some performance, some like dance film festivals and things like that. And through that, you're able to just pay fees that are equitable to both sides of the border. You know what I mean? Like like when you're paying, you're not considering the peso to dollar exchange and paying less because they're in Mexico. So you're able to expand upon that a little bit differently. One of the first big projects we had with Proartes was to be a tour manager for a group called San Luna y Jóvenes Zapateadores, and they're from Jalapa, Veracruz. They'd received a grant from the Mid-Atlantic Arts Foundation, which doesn't actually exist anymore. It was called Southern Exposure, and it was really focused on bringing groups from Latin America to the United States to perform. That sense has been transitioned into PAGE, which is, I can't remember what PAGE stands for, but it's like Performing Arts Global something. (laughs) So it's more global than Southern Exposure was, uh, which was a little more geographic centered on Latin America. We really focused, we, we took National Performance Network as a model for the way that they pay artists equitably kind of looked at their contracts and the way that they'd worked in the past, used that as a way to create our own our own fee structure to be able to work with this group, but also to get them to tour in the United States so that they could actually pay themselves and their group. You know, I mean, we, we obviously paid ourselves from the project, but, you know, by and large, the majority of the money went to the group. And also being a resource to be able to help figure out where these people could perform. Where can we go? How do we make this enough of an engagement that they can actually take home a a paycheck? Because as I mentioned, visa fees are, it's quite expensive. And you have to start, you know, a year, year and a half in advance to even have the visa in time, you know, and then also making sure that they understand how to file their taxes to try to get some of their tax money back. So making sure that they have social security number in the United States, they can actually file their taxes and and try to get a refund rather than there's a, a 30% withholding on foreign workers. They might get a $1,000 fee from an engagement, but they're only getting $700. But they've spent $1,000 to even get to the engagement. So how do you <laughs> how do you uh, sort of align enough programs and performances and make sure that they're getting per dia to pay for their meals and all of those things and, and to make sure that they leave actually with a little bit in their pocket rather than just having another line for their grant. Because a lot of times what has happened is that these folks are, they're, they're getting money from the Mexican government to do these sorts of activities, but it's enough to be able to pay their bills essentially. And they're not necessarily profiting from the engagements. I think it's so important to not only give artists resources, but to also teach them how to use the resources and also how to support themselves through their work. And that does include what to do with taxes. (laughs) So I think it's really cool that you are showing them not only like what to do and the the ropes of everything, but also the not so fun stuff, which is taxes and information on other, you know, (laughs) minutiae, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's what we try to do. Yeah, (laughs) it's complicated and every situation is different. So as you can imagine, visual arts is different than the performing arts. So the way that exchanges is quite different. The more that they know going into it or the more that we can know going into it, the better. And then planning ahead as much as possible. So as you can imagine, the pandemic really threw uh, a wrench in the works of everything. So we kind of stopped 
all the tours and everything we had been working on and planning and then had to figure out how to kind of reboot and bring things back into function. So through that process, I think it also got us to slow down a little bit more and think about, well, how do we, what is it we do? How do we do this in a way that is a little more thoughtful and impactful? And how do we sort of, how how does the next chapter of Proartes Mexico create more of a foundation to be more impactful, essentially? So some of the things we're working on now are curatorial projects and including artists from the United States and Mexico in these curatorial projects. We are also, Stephanie, more than I, is, is quite involved in a U40 UNESCO summit, which is all about creating equity and cultural support for artists of Mexico. So just staying in that discussion of how are things going, what is needed, what's being overlooked. Publications is another thing we're working on to help promote artists, but also taking some of the money from the, the uh, publication sales to also add to the regranting pot. So pretty much everything that we get as income, some portion of that goes back to, you know, be given away. We're also currently looking at applying for a fiscal sponsorship so that we can apply for grants in a more structured way so we could receive, at least in the United States, receive a, a tax deductible donations. So I think I have a pretty good idea on what you do for Proactus, but I'd love to know a little bit more about the other half, which is Stephanie. I would love to know what her role looks like within all of this. Well, I mean, the whole project was her idea. She brought it up, you know, one of my first trips to Mexico. She said, you know, wouldn't it be fun to create an organization that just connected people and help support projects? And I was like, yeah, that does sound really good. And at the same time, I was seeing sort of this, a little bit of chaos with the the project that we were taking part in at that time or the conference that we were taking part in. So that was really... Stephanie's idea is, you know, how do we sort of support Mexican artists to present their work outside of Mexico? You know, she has a tremendous amount of experience in Mexico and abroad. She's performed in something like 13 countries, and she's been a professional dancer, choreographer in Mexico City for 15 years before coming to the United States for her master's degree. The, the second time I went to Mexico was actually invited to the National Dance Conference in Mexico City, and Stephanie was the international the international programmer liaison so she was inviting and managing all the international presenters that were coming to mexico city for that so she's worked in in mexico on multiple levels um the national dance school uh she's you know she's she's worked in multiple levels so she's very aware of the cultural context of arts in mexico i have more of a a deeper background in arts in the united states from curation to grant writing and art making in general. So sort of with our experience combined, we're able to sort of navigate both countries and figure out resources in both countries. And Stephanie's expertise is dance, obviously, but also theater and music. These are like really her passions. And mine is visual art. My background is all in visual art and visual art curation. Performance art is another thing that I'm, I have a, a background in. We kind of, with our, our experience combined, we cover a pretty wide spectrum of of media, of genre, of art making. So that's sort of how we, you know, like if I have a question in the United States about dance or choreography, I, I revert to Stephanie. And if Stephanie has questions about visual art things in Mexico, she's asking me, you know, and we're, we're sort of constantly riffing off of each other and building off of each other. And that's sort of the way we've been navigating, you know, the exchange. I think it's really difficult to strike the balance between all the different areas of art, you know, I feel like many visual 
artists, art fans are kind of lean towards that and don't go watch a lot of dance and vice versa. It's really rare to have an individual be really saturated in all the areas of art. So I think it's really cool that both of you ha can strike so many different spots and have this really well-rounded representation of different art forms. So you just went to Mexico recently with a large group of, let's say, Americans, <laughs> um, and you brought them from the U.S. to Mexico for an art tour. Can you expand a little bit on the mission of that trip and the purpose of that trip? Yeah, that's so that was the first annual trip, I would say, that is an art trip to Mexico City. It actually started, so I worked with Umoca last year, and I went with them to Mexico City and sort of helped them navigate the city and the art fairs. And it was a blast, and I feel like everybody had a great time. And from that, the idea came to organize our own trip, make it an annual event, because I feel like it's a very... Mexico City is really one of the cultural capitals of the world. And specifically with those art fairs, there are multiple art fairs that are happening. There's huge museum openings that are happening there's more galleries than you could visit in weeks you know like you it would take weeks to to visit all of the gallery openings it's just a a profound amount of of contemporary art in one place but also i feel like it's a little bit intimidating for people to just jump in and go down to mexico city because it's such a large metropolitan specifically if you're not fluent in spanish and it's it's a little chaotic so in chaotic in the best ways uh, and the worst ways sometimes but <laughs> in general it's you know it's a very lively life-filled experience i know there's a lot of curiosity and there's a lot of interest in working with mexican artists or latin american artists but i think the entry point sometimes can feel a little bit like a barrier you know, one of our focuses is how do we promote Mexican artists to show their work or get their work out of Mexico. So a great way to do that is to take curators and artists and arts administrators from the United States down to see what's there and mm -hmm. to help them navigate that. But really the intention of that trip was to pull like-minded people that are really interested in working with artists from Mexico and to, you know, get them together for a week and have them have a shared experience, learn together, have discussions, um, brainstorm possible ideas for the future. And I really feel like a lot of that happened. I know that there's several kind of curatorial collaborations that are in the works. I know that there's some of the folks that went are invited to go and work at some of the other institutions. And I also know that some of the curators and artists that went are figuring out collaborations with folks we, we met there in Mexico City. So it's, you know, I think it was a really rich cultural exchange. And I also, I, I really, for me, I, I feel like the trip, the focus of the trip is to kind of create a brain trust of arts people that are like-minded and then build upon that. So since starting in 2018, it seems like at this point, you have so much under your belt of work that you've done and experience and traditions that you're setting and tours that you've done. I would love to know what is next for Proactus? What are some projects that are percolating and how can people support you? Yeah, I mean, I think well, the annual trip is a really interesting sort of foundation. I mean, we have lots of ideas. So, you know, one of them would be to, to, to create sort of the inverted version of that. We talked about like bringing curators or artists, curators and artists from Mexico to the United States, maybe to New York or to LA 
and to do sort of a, a reverse version of the trip we did in February. But as I mentioned, it, it would it would need a different sort of funding base. You know, it, it would be harder to just base that upon the artists and curators income alone, just because the inequity of it. Also, you know, another idea that we've had is how do we create a trip that was similar to this most recent one, but more performing arts based. So that's something Stephanie has been talking about since she has such a, a deep rooted connection to the performing arts in Mexico is, you know, finding some curators or cultural programmers in the United States that would be interested in going down and kind of specifically centering the trip on you know, thought-provoking or boundary-pushing contemporary performance that's happening there. Some of the other things we've been talking about or con continuing to consider is we would love to create an anthology, a published written and ver a version of the podcast series we did during the pandemic. So during the pandemic, we, you know, as everybody did, quickly pivoted to how do we, you know, continue doing impactful work. We produced 20 podcasts. They're bilingual. So the first, the podcast is in whatever the chosen language of the artist is, English or Spanish. And then we put a translated transcript on our website so people could, you know, read the interview in whatever the other language is. But we would love to create an actual like written anthology of that that we could send to curators, to libraries, to museums, so that those things could be then become resources a little bit more robustly as well. So those are kind of our next sort of steps that we're thinking about. We have a, a dance for film festival that we've created two iterations of, kind of rebooting that, doing a third iteration of that. So some of those things that we've continuing, some of those things that you said have become kind of traditions and keep those things moving forward. And I know you mentioned, you know, which artists we work with at some point and, you know, there's, it's like a two focus. So we're interested in the exchange of arts and artists between the United States and Mexico, and we're interested in promoting exemplary, exemplary contemporary art out of Mexico. We do have sort of half of our focus is how do we promote incredible artists that are doing things in Mexico and get those projects out of Mexico. And a lot of that is networking and sharing. Is there any interest in working with other Latin American countries and Central and South American countries? Yeah, actually one of the, the projects that's coming up is a project that will be based on work from artists from the, like, the American continent, which is a whole other, like, you know, because I think you grew up in the United States school system, so you learned the Americas is multiple continents, right? It's Americas with an S. Well, in talking with many Latin American people, they learned in their school systems, it's the American continent. I don't know. That's a little funny, like side note, like something to people to dive into in the future. But like, how is that decided? Like, why have we decided in North America to separate ourselves from these other continent, other continents, quote unquote, I'm making air quotes on a podcast, you know? Um, <laughs> Uh, and then how do we sort of like think about those connections? I don't know. That's a whole other thing people should research. And I'm thinking back to grade school. I'm like, wait, what was the justification? Was it plate tectonics? And I'm like, but there's fault lines everywhere, you know? <laughs> we we are interested in, in working with artists from Latin America, not just Central or Mesoamerica. Well, Peter, it was such a pleasure to talk to you today. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know? Sure. People are always welcome to go explore our website, which is... Uh, proartesmexico.com.mx or you could follow us on social media so our instagram is just at proartesmexico we also have a newsletter so it's awesome if you want to sign up for our newsletter it's a good for way for us to just kind of keep in touch with you about what we have going on so when those curatorial projects that we're working on do become public you can know about them and i would say as far as getting involved we're always interested in meeting people and kind of knowing what their interests are also we've been building a network so if you're 
working on a curatorial project, or maybe you have questions about bringing an artist from Mexico and how that could possibly work, we're, you know, we're open to discuss those things. And I can't promise we can like always have a solution, but we're definitely interested in, in you know, seeing if we can offer any sort of solution or connect you with somebody that can maybe help. I'd like to see us as a resource for networking and exchange as much as anything else. Um, because sometimes that's all you need is somebody to help point you in the right direction. You have an idea, you have a connection, but you're not exactly sure how to pull all the strings together. And if we can't help, hopefully somebody that we know can help. So yeah, please feel free to follow us, reach out to us if you have questions, buy some merchandise or send five bucks so we can add it to our pot of money to give to an artist that's working on a cool project or maybe has a, a residency planned and they just need to buy their plane ticket. So we're we're hoping to send a little money out to somebody that's looking to make some step in their career or their art projects as well. So yeah, feel free to reach out. I hope that we're approachable and I hope that people feel interested in, in what we're doing and comfortable connecting with us. Well, I really admire the work that you and Stephanie are doing and I can't wait to see what Broathis does next. Well, thank you so much and thanks for having us. And it's been really great to be here in Utah and to learn and, and be influenced by this place. And thanks for, you know, helping us like expand and tell our story. Really appreciate it. Um, so happy to have you. Yeah, we're grateful too. Thank you. Well, that was our conversation with Peter Hay. That well, was my your conversation. conversation with Peter Hay. I was not able to make it to this one because I've been too busy. Yeah, you're really busy. Um, but I had a pleasant time talking to Peter. Yeah, listening back to it, I was like, I wish I could have been there. I mean, honestly, it was kind of interesting for me as somebody who's usually there because now I get to hear it from the perspective of people who listen to our podcast um, and don't have any preconceptions about it before it gets released. So, yeah, good job. And so are we going with Mexico or Mexico from you? I think when... I say Mexico. <laughs> uh-huh. I I don't know when I say Proartes Mexico, that sounds right. But then, like when I talk about Mexico, I say Mexico, hmm. and like I say Mexican instead of like Mexicano, Mexicano, Mexicanx. You know, I don't know. It's just it's you know we're gonna have to be okay with me doing both. I'm okay with it. I just wanted yeah. you to feel self-conscious about it. It's the fruits of being a bilingual person. Hmm. The, the yeah. joys of it. I wouldn't know anything about that. Mm -mm. Um, so as somebody who didn't, who was not a part of that interview, um, some of the stuff that stuck out to me was um, this idea of cultural leveling and bringing non-white perspectives into our understanding of past art periods and current. I, f I feel like... Um, this is something that we talk about a lot in current day discourse as far as bringing people's um, like current contemporary perspectives into the mix. Um, you saw that a lot in like 2020 where there was sort of a rush to um, platform black voices. But um, I kind of wanted to put it in dialogue with a recent exhibit that you covered at Umoka, um, which I feel like there's just so much synergy here because a lot of this proactive stuff started with a partnership with Yumoka, right? Um, or at least the, <clears throat> the the Mexico trip, right? Yeah, it started in a, as a partnership uh, with Yumoka, they, and Peter went to Mexico with the folks from Yumoka. Yeah. Um, so uh, talk a little bit about that exhibit, because you wrote about it for 
Southwest Contemporary. Southwest Contemporary. Yes. Uh, it is the Many West exhibit. It's a traveling exhibit, and it's traveling between four different museums in four different states. And uh, I think it was curated by, like, the Smithsonian... Honestly, I think I just said Smithsonian because it's, like, the first no, <laughs> thing the, that came I to mind. No, I think you're right. Like, it's multiple museums. Like, one of them is, like, the Boise Museum, yeah. you know? So Yeah, so it's a it's collaboration between four different museums. And with the purpose to bring many voices of m- essentially um, erased cultures and communities... Um, people who were involved with shaping like the American West, but who were never held up as people who were a part of that, like retrospectively or at the time. Mm-hmm. So many, you know, Asian American, Indigenous American, and Mexican American uh, individuals, artists, contemporary artists that are discussing their experience and their uh, how they, they were disenfranchised by the erasure that their communities have experienced. Uh, many beautiful pieces. One that I keep sticking out of out of my mind in my mind sticking out in my mind is the there's a bonnet. There's this um, pioneer bonnet, and it is embellished by pearls. But you know, on the other side of the pearl is a needle, so it's completely you know full of spikes um yeah like you couldn't wear it uh, yeah even if you tried <laughs> um so you know it, it's kind of talking about the, there's a lot of exhibits talking about like the beauty of their experience but also you know that sharp edge that they've experienced as well um a lot of conversations about um Plymouth and the the blankets that were distributed uh to the indigenous Americans and you know the the unfortunate fucking death tolls that happened because of the uh, disease-ridden blankets, and so there was like because of colonialism. Oh well, yeah, not <laughs> it's not the blankets' fault. <laughs> not anti-blanket here. Um, so there was there was uh, embroidered wool blankets and things like that. There was just a lot. Uh, yeah. I had a hard time writing that article honestly because there's just so much to the American West that we don't uh, talk about that's so, you know, not taught in schools, not discussed in media. And so there's just a lot of catching up, I feel like, our society needs to do. And it's hard to do that in just, like, one article. Yeah, and I think part of what that bonnet piece to me uh, signaled was, like, to interact with this is sort of like a thorny proposition. Like, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, to like don the perspective that uh, like unseats the perspective that you've had for so long can be sort of a painful experience sometimes. Um, and again, I feel like there's been a pretty contemporary push for this sort of thing. And um, this is a UMFA exhibit, not a UMOKA Umo- exhibit. Yeah, sorry. Now yeah. I'm realizing that as I say the word contemporary. No. This UMFA? Was the, this mm-hmm, was the UMFA. Right. We always get those mixed up. Yeah, I mean, you can see why. Um, Acronym-wise. Uh, but <clears throat> I think... I lost my train of thought. Um, hold on. Uh, right. So... <laughs> <laughs> were you saying right because you knew I was going to say something that you were going to say and... You're just agreeing with me preemptively. No, I was just trying to comfortably ease myself into my thought, and then you ruined it again. (laughs) Um, 
we've been doing this sort of in a contemporary perspective, but I think for me, it's invigorating to look at, um, retrospectively things that, um, we've looked at from, you know, very particular perspectives, very canonical perspectives. It kind of invigorates those subjects again for me in ways that I found it really difficult to care about even initially, just sort of like learning about the like white man perspective over and over and over again. Um, and I think when learning about that stuff, it's, it's hard to know, like I found it boring at the time, like learning about it in grade school. And it's like, I don't really know how to tell that I'm finding this boring, but I think it's part like this is part of it. I think it's because it all sort of emanates from this same sort of cultural stew that is not even a stew, just like a very bland drool gruel, you know, of just, just like describe the worst type of food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it just, it just starts to feel very stale and like, it's not, you know, there's not a lot of um, imagination happening outside of that. It doesn't encourage that sort of thing. This also leads into another thing that stuck out to me, which was this idea of cultural exchange and the opportunities that we have um, to like kind of unseat these perspectives that we've canonized. Um, that has to do with bringing more Mexican perspectives and Mexican artists and not even necessarily Mexico, but like outside, probably not European. I'm probably done with that, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like there's an opportunity to do that, but the inequities of the systems of our systems interacting make that very hard. Yeah. It's almost like intentional. It's almost <laughs> like it was designed that way. One point that I think was interesting that, uh, Peter brought up was, you know, just that those narratives coming from the patriarchy from white men are, they're just such a big tool in erasure specifically. And, but also, you know, w Peter mentioned if you're not doing something authentically that's coming from an authentic place, regardless is what I've perceived from what he was saying, was, is that, that is also part of erasure. If you're, if you're kind of participating in creating art or writing or something like that, that isn't really an, coming from an authentic source, you're just creating a, you're another branch of this um, the slop that you were describing, like this shitty, uh, pot of misinformation. And, uh, unfortunately there are still some museums and some curators that foster that and foster misinformation through art and, mm -hmm. um, ignorance through art. And we, we think that, you know, we're doing, our society has been doing a lot of work trying to resolve all of that. But it's still happening today. There's still, unfortunately, people at part of the community that that support the white male narr narrative. And I think it's important to remember that and to be able to identify it when it's happening. I think part of what enables that is, like, the the patriarchal, the white man narrative is born from, um, like, dominance and... Um, taking mm -hmm. <laughs> and so something that dovetails a lot with that is aesthetics and things getting reduced to their aesthetics and i think it re when we engage in that um when you interact with something because of its aesthetic or if you boil it down to its aesthetic value um i think it produces a very similar effect to uh 
the history of patriarchal hegemony. Hegemony. Just kidding, it's hegemony. Wait. I don't know. (laughs) Every time I say it out loud, I think I'm doing it wrong. I think it produces a similar effect there where it feels like it's been watered down. It feels like it's coming from an inauthentic source because it's being aestheticized. It's being valued for the things that don't actually give it its soul. Well, we really... Again, there's just so much to unpack from the conversation with Peter Hay. I would love to maybe even talk to him and Stephanie more. But Yeah, honestly, I think it'd be interesting to talk to Stephanie. Yeah. Something I'm noticing more and more as we're doing these is um, people who are collaborating together and what their collaboration, like how that takes shape. It's very interesting to me um, because like we're collaborating on something and Mm -hmm. there's constant negotiation in that. So Yeah, we're very different and we have... um, we're, we're very different <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> Suffice it to say. <laughs> but it works together. So um, we like seeing that in other people because we like seeing us in other people. Sure. <laughs> Just kidding. It's not where I was going. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. Okay. Um, so thank you again for listening to this episode. If you're listening and have not subscribed yet, please subscribe. We Tell are, a friend. Tell a friend. Um, and we are kind of wrapping up this season, which... Is, I can't believe we already did five episodes and we're already, like, wrapping up a season. I think we have a couple more um, for this theme, which is kind of arts and culture exploration. Or Yeah. I feel like we're... What? We're figuring it out. Yeah, I feel like we're at this <laughs> point where um, we've done a couple episodes and they've been sort of centered around public art and the art community here in Salt Lake. And obviously that's our, uh, like, broad focus that we want to continue with. But um, now that we've kind of gotten our feet wet i was gonna say legs wet um a a problem i'm encountering constantly in recording these is like misremembering idioms and turns of phrase Mm -hmm. and saying really weird things like get your legs wet (laughs) which just sounds wrong but get your feet wet sounds normal um now that we've gotten our legs wet i feel like uh you know at least for me i'm the type of person who just needs to kind of start doing something before i'm really aware of um and can start thinking about the ways that i want it to have like a broader structure so i think we're going to be thinking about some of that stuff as we sort of close out this section of stuff that we've been doing this topic and maybe finding other angles to approach things with and maybe different formats too there's just a lot of stuff we could play with and yeah feeling like we've got the momentum to not have to worry that something's going to just get done but we can you know experiment yeah so again thank you again again, (laughs) for subscribing and for listening. Uh, But just also keep in mind that uh, things are going to change and we might have a completely different format for next season. And that's what makes it fun for us. For me. Yeah. For you. Yeah. So uh, follow us on everything at Locomotive Podcast on Instagram, Locomotive on Twitter, locomotive on youtube and locomotivepodcast.com i think yeah locomotive i hear a lot of people saying well a lot i hear two people saying locomotive it's local 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 Mm -hmm. i'm one of those people i keep accidentally saying locomotive Mm. who's the other person nick called out yeah okay well thanks for (laughs) listening and we'll talk to you next time thanks everyone thanks to peter Oh, yeah, thanks, Peter. (laughs)